0: So a truck driver was hauling a load of 500 penguins to the zoo. Unfortunately, his truck broke down, so he waved another truck down and offered the driver $500 to take the penguins to the zoo. The next day, the first truck driver picked up his repaired truck, and when he drove into town, he couldn't believe his eyes when he saw the second truck driver walking across the road with 500 penguins waddling single file behind him. He jumped out of his truck, ran up to the driver, and he said, hey, what's going on? I gave you $500 to take those penguins to the zoo, to which the man responded, I did take them to the zoo, but I had enough money left over, so now we're going to the movies. (laughs) Now that guy didn't fully understand what he was supposed to be doing. And likewise, today, right here in this room and those engaging online, many of us men are fuzzy about our sense of purpose. We're not living as men on mission. Well, as we continue in our series called Back to the Beginning from the book of Genesis, our focus today is how a man on mission is all about ministry. Last weekend, we had front row seats to the creation of Adam, and we were challenged with this truth, which has great application to us. God created every person on purpose, and he put us in a place to live out his purposes. We're going to continue zooming in now as we're going to see how God called Adam to live on mission for his glory in five different ways. First, he gave him a place, he gave him a purpose, he gave him permission, and then he provided a prohibition, and finally, punishment. Join me with your Bibles open or your app on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, commentators have tried to locate these rivers, and they've tried to figure out the exact location of the Garden of Eden. I got up in that this past week and read a bunch, and I realized, hey, nobody really knows. Well, actually, I think I know the Garden of Eden is in Door County, Wisconsin. Now, the Tigris and the Euphrates are still rivers today, but it's quite likely the terrain and the topography have shifted over the centuries, especially since the worldwide flood would have rerouted those rivers. The point is not so much where the Garden of Eden is, but that it was a real place and there were four actual rivers The use of proper names and regions show Eden was an actual place. So Eden was historical. It's not mythical. It's not allegorical. Because of what happened there, we aren't meant to know where it is today because, well, if you read the end of Genesis 3, we can't enter it in this life anyway. Well, another life-giving river will one day flow from God's presence. Oh, join me in Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Ezekiel 47.9 adds, everything will live where the water goes. So the main point is God graciously provided these rivers to water his garden. Notice in verse 16 how God purposely and intentionally inserted Adam into this wonderful place of paradise. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. The word took has the idea of seizing or grasping. It shows how God picked Adam up somehow and he placed him in the place he had prepared for him. Interestingly, the word put means cause to rest. So Adam's made from the dust of the ground. God bends over, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. We don't know how much time elapsed, but then God took him, transported him somehow, and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Would you notice next he's given a purpose? According to the last part of verse 15, Adam was put in the garden to work it and keep it. Now, Adam was given a place for worship and rest, but a key part of his purpose was to work. That means to till and labor. Do you realize Adam was called to be productive, even in paradise? The idea has its roots in Genesis 128. We're told where Adam is to subdue and have dominion. The word work also means to worship and serve. That's the highest privilege a person can have. In addition, Adam was called to keep the garden. It has the idea of protecting, caring, keeping safe, exercising great care over it. So man's work ethic goes back to Eden. Later, the words work and keep were used of the duties of priests, When you think about it, work is our way to give back to the Lord in service as we keep his commands. Both of these tasks are mentioned in Numbers chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. They shall keep guard, he's speaking of the priests, that's the word keep, over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. As they minister, that's the word work, at the tabernacle. Let me make a few applications. Number one, work is not a curse. Some of you are like, do you know where I work? <laughs> work is not a curse, it's part of our purpose. See, many wrongly think work is part of the curse, but let me remind you, Adam was given work to do before the fall. God has created each of us on purpose, he's placed us in a specific place to work out his purposes. Ah, it's when you come to Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19, where we read that it was after Adam sinned that the ground was what? Cursed. And what starts growing? Thorns and thistles. And then we read of sweat on his brow. A second application we're called to see our work as worship. It was Martin Luther who said, The farmer shoveling manure and the maid milking a cow can worship God through their work just as much as a minister can preaching. Do you know there's a sense of sacred in your vocation? Because you and I are called to serve, not just to be served. Settle this truth, you are made to worship through your work as you serve others. Let's take this to the home. Parents, teach your kids that chores are a way to worship God. That schoolwork is a way to serve God. If you're a young adult, you're in a job you don't care for, don't slack off in the job. If you're retired, your work is not done. Find a place and worship God with the time he has entrusted to you using the gifts he has poured into you. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and you're working for the Lord and not for men. Let me say it like this. Our work is is a gift to us from God and how we work is our gift back to him. Thirdly, part of a man's purpose is to protect what has been entrusted to him. I think of Song of Songs 5 verse 7, we're called to be watchmen of the walls to notice, to guard, to protect. We're to do that in the workplace and in our homes. Well, as we learned last week, God puts us in the exact place he wants us, so we'll live out his purposes. A man on mission is all about ministry. Our daughter uh, Lydia and her husband Jamie are members of a church in Virginia called Pillar. Their founding pastor, who they were very close to, died a week ago. At the age of 43, he was used by God to start over 30 churches and a worldwide movement among marine bases called the Praetorium Project. He also poured into Jamie and Lydia, which is the main reason Jamie, who served as a marine in Quantico, Eventually oversaw the church in Quantico for several years and Jamie's in seminary right now, in large part because of Clint. Lydia serves as the children's ministry director there. I watched the live stream of the video yesterday, it was of the funeral yesterday. It was two hours long, so I actually watched it live for one hour and then I had an appointment and I went back and watched the rest. Pastor Clint makes me think of a story about D.L. Moody. When D.L. Moody was in England, he heard evangelist Henry Varley give a challenge. The world has yet to see what God can do through a man who's totally yielded to him. The world's yet to see somebody like that. Well, Moody pondered that, it captivated him. And then he wrote down these words, by the grace of God, I will be that man. Question, will you be that man? Will you be that woman? Here's what I wrote down for each of us to ponder. It's not our ability, but our availability that matters most to God. Number three, verse 16, we see the first command in the Bible. This might (laughs) surprise you. And the Lord God commanded the man. The word command comes early in the verse. It's quite strong. It means to give an order, to charge, to direct. So the creator is giving dust man a direct order. And because God created Adam, he has the right, doesn't he, to give commands to his creation. Ah, but here's what I want you to see. Notice how Jehovah Elohim graciously provided for Adam by giving him permission. So the command was permission to enjoy his environment. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. In the Hebrew, a form of the word eat is repeated twice for emphasis. Translators have rendered it like this. You may surely eat or you may freely eat. Literally, it means eating thou shalt eat. It's a very strong affirmation for Adam to enjoy eating with great delight to his heart's content. I'm reminded of Romans 2.4. This verse came up in the song we were singing. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Interestingly, when you get to chapter 3, verse 2, and we'll get there eventually, Eve is speaking with the serpent, and when she's talking to the serpent, she omits this phrase, surely eat. Listen to how she characterized God as a killjoy instead of the good God who graciously allowed them to eat as much as they wanted. Here's what she said, yeah, we may eat of the trees of the garden. A man on mission is all about ministry. Notice next, a prohibition. God gave Adam permission to eat from every tree except one. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The word good refers to well-pleasing, morally correct. Evil speaks of morally bad and extremely ugly evil. Don't miss how God begins with blessing, and then he establishes the boundary because blessings always come with boundaries. Most people think of God as one who prohibits, who's just out to ruin our good times. But remember, he gave permission before the prohibition. The permission is broad, the restriction is narrow. The maximum was allowed, the minimum was forbidden. There was only one no, everything else was a yes. Even in this prohibition, we see God's goodness and mercy. You see, God's warnings are evidence of grace. Here's why. He wants us to stay away from everything that will dishonor him, damage other people, and ultimately destroy us. That's why he says no. That's why he gives parameters. Interestingly, the serpent minimizes God's provision and permission. He magnifies his prohibition. He wants Adam and Eve to see God as harsh and as somehow holding out on them when the exact opposite is true. Now, we don't fully know why God put this tree there, except that he did. He wanted to give Adam the choice of whether to obey and trust his words to enjoy the good. Adam needed to believe that God alone defines what is good. And God alone defines what is not good. A man on mission is all about ministry. Well, God gave Adam a choice of whether he would obey or not. He didn't create people as puppets. He didn't make us as robots, but rather as responsible, moral agents with a will to decide. And in the last part of verse 17, God was quite clear what would happen if Adam disobeyed. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Penalty will be severe and certain. You shall surely die. This is the first mention of death in the Bible. It's tied to disobedience. Now, just as the word eat was repeated twice in verse 16 and translated as surely eat, so here the word die is repeated emphatically to show Adam he would surely die. Now, unfortunately, as we'll see in a couple weeks, Adam and Eve knew the good and were unable to do it. They knew the evil, and they could not help but do that. Now, maybe you think this punishment is way too severe. I mean, what what a minor disobedience. But friends, we must remember who issued the command. This is Jehovah Elohim who spoke the stars into existence. God is completely just, Because all sin is cosmic treason against the Lord most High, And at its core, death involves separation. Adam would die spiritually in the day that he disobeyed, and he would eventually die physically. And as our representative head, Adam's sin caused separation between us and a holy God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A man on mission is all about ministry. This was Adam's calling as the first man. This was his commission. Now, all of that made me think back to men here at Edgewood living on mission, and I'm reminded of what I shared at our men's bonfire this past fall. Uh, We're outside in October, out around with a bonfire, and this is how I began. I told a story that Beth and I owned a Honda Odyssey for about 13 years. We put 260,000 miles on that van. We loved it. We had to get rid of it because it started leaking fluids, like a lot. So two and a half years ago, we bought a used 2016 entry-level basic trim Honda Pilot with only 35,000 miles on it. We went from heated leather seats to cloth seats. It doesn't even have an outdoor temperature gauge on the dash. We're fortunate it has a radio. Well, one big issue, we liked the vehicle a lot, but there's one issue that we didn't like was how low the driver's seat is. I mean, we just thought it was stationary, right? It's this this entry-level car, and we're like, man, this seat is low, and so we'd struggle. We'd complain about it even. We sat so low, there were times we couldn't see the road clearly. So for 50,000 miles... Which correlates to more than 1,000 driving hours, we thought that this was just the way it was. Until (laughs) a couple months ago, when we were driving home from a trip to New York, we were making our way around Chicago on I 80, and I'm getting sleepy. So I broke out the Twizzlers. Started slapping my face, right, and stretching. I'm doing, you've been there, right? You're just tired. You want to get home. I'm stretching, and I'm going like this, and I put my hand down, and I feel a lever. (laughs) And what's this? I started pulling it up, and my seat starts going higher. (laughs) I kept pulling it as long as I could. I just went up. I went up so high, I had to adjust all the mirrors, And now I could finally see I was wide awake and also feeling really stupid. (laughs) My perspective changed when I was raised up. So at our men's barbecue in August, we were challenged by 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And we focused on five mandates for men. In fact, we said these mandates are on your man card. I want to add one more to that list. It's time for men on mission to rise up. Guys, lean in. Put myself in here. Too many of us men are spiritual slackers. We're slouching in our seats. We're saying, that's just the way it is. We're not proactive. We're not leading. We're not guiding. We're just sitting, shrinking back, settled in. It's time for us to wake up, to stand up, to man up, to grow up, to love up, and to rise up. Men, I'm calling us to reclaim biblical masculinity and to live on mission as we minister His purposes where He has placed us. Now, before I go much further, and parents, this is a kind of a warning. I'm going to go into a subject here if, if you don't think this is appropriate for your children. But before going much further, I, I'd like to speak to women right now. Because perhaps you're thinking, yeah, you're firing up guys to do this, But a man in my life or men in my life have mistreated me, have bullied me, or abused me. This is a sensitive topic. It's often hidden and kept secret. But for some of you, you've experienced toxic masculinity. You don't deserve to be treated like that by any guy. And guy, if you're treating a woman like that, you need to stop. It's wrong. And women, it is not your fault. Celebrate Recovery, which meets on Friday nights, is a safe place for you to process the pain of emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. And several of our women leaders are equipped to provide you with help and support. If you've been sexually assaulted, and you're ready to find hope and healing, One of our members here, Jamie McWade, is a professional counselor, and she's planning to begin a free online group. It'll start in March. If you're interested in that, there's an email up on the screen. Uh, You can send her an email. Let me circle back to the men. Like many of you, I've been using the Edgewood Bible reading plan. Pastor Kyle develops a new one every month. So if you're reading your Bible and you're like, oh, I haven't read for a few days and you get off track, well, there's a new one that comes out every month. The idea is we reboot it, give you a fresh start. Well, during the month of January, we're reading through 1 Samuel. On January 10th, I read 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, and I underlined it, men, men, of valor. Well, that got my attention. Whose hearts God had touched. I want to be a man of valor. Valor means strength, it means moral courage. This made me think of the Men of Valor and Excellence mentoring program some of us are involved with, with boys at Youth Hope. However, in contrast to that, if you just keep reading verse 27. Men of valor whose hearts got it touched, but some worthless fellows said. And I'm like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a worthless fellow. That refers to wickedness, which leads to worthlessness. Guys, I'm calling us to be men of valor whose hearts are touched by God, tenderized by him, not worthless fellows who just live for ourselves, for our own pleasure, our own fantasy, our own escape. I'm calling the men of Edgewood to be men on mission who see every person as valuable and worthy of protection. This past weekend, I watched a chilling video clip. It was a a restaurant, and there was a man sitting with his girlfriend or his wife at a table And then a man came into the restaurant with a gun. When the man saw the robber come in, he got up and ran away, leaving the woman at the table with this man with a gun walking right by her. And after the robber left, this woman got up and she looked around and she went outside and looked for her man who was nowhere to be found. He had fled in fear. And unfortunately, this is a picture of how men often abandon women when they experience a crisis pregnancy. Instead of being men of valor whose hearts God had touched, many men today are fleeing out of fear, allowing the thief to steal, to kill, and to destroy life. This is Sanctity of Life weekend. 50 years ago today was Roe v. Wade. And I want to take our remaining time and focus on the role and responsibility men have to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Our job as men is to exercise great care over our offspring and to protect the preborn. By God's grace, I have been preaching, I have preached on protecting the preborn every January on Sanctity of Life weekend for over 25 years, and I'll continue to do so, but this is the first time I'm addressing men. Usually the focus has been on women, but today I want to talk to men. Let's ponder this command from Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've set before you, here the choices, life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Larry Hoffel, who's sitting over here, uh, has been attending Edgewood with, with his wife Ashley and their three children. God has given Larry a very keen theological mind, and I read one of his posts on Facebook this week. He gave me permission To share it. Some commentators have said that Eden was like an ancient temple garden prepared for a king, and we were the image bearers commissioned to be a representation of him to all of creation while we maintain it. Since we are made in the image of God, we have intrinsic purpose and value, which is why life is precious. As seen in Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, let me circle back to one of Adam's roles from earlier in the message. Part of a man's purpose is to protect what has been entrusted to him as watchman of the walls, As part of that responsibility, I submit men must serve as watchmen over life in the womb. You see, abortion has become and has been a hot-button political issue. But at its core, it's a moral issue. It's a justice issue it's a biblical issue because innocent lives are being snuffed out. Men, this is not just a woman's issue. Newly released figures show that one fifth of the preborn in the United States were in twenty were aborted in twenty twenty, which comes out to about one million babies. Sadly, over sixty three million babies have been aborted since nineteen seventy three. An exact breakdown is hard to determine because 54% of all terminations don't take place in abortion clinics anymore. More than half of all abortions are now the result of the abortion pill that's taken at home, which is becoming less regulated and more available. Edgewood member Ken White serves as the men's services coordinator. Ken's sitting down here in the front at Pregnancy Resources. Recently, I asked him about the influence of men when it comes to the decision of a woman to carry and parent a baby when she gets pregnant. This is what Ken said. The new mom gets advice from everywhere and seemingly everyone, from family members, from friends, from coworkers, even from strangers. But the number one influencer of the mom is the father of the baby. Because 61%, Ken tells me that number is even higher in the 70% range, 70% of the time the dad is the first to hear the news from the new mom. They are very influential in the baby decision process. This confirms a 2021 CareNet study which states that the father has the most influence on that decision, far outweighing the influence of medical professionals and the woman's mother. When men say something like this to the woman, I'm good with whatever you decide, that's a cop out. And it makes her feel very alone and abandoned. The best thing you could say is something like this I am with you in this. I don't want you to go through this alone. We created life, and now let's protect this life. Men of valor, Let's be convictional and not compromise. But let's also be compassionate and caring. Don't waver, don't waffle, don't wander, and don't flee in fear. Speak up for the little, the least, and the lost. Wake up, stand up, man up, grow up, love up, and rise up, O oh men of God. A man on mission is all about ministry. Men of valor must value Every life. For the past three years on Sanctity of Life weekend, we focused on the help pregnancy resources provides to women who've had abortions. Last, week, last year, we actually had a, a young mom from Thailand share her story that she had an abortion scheduled and God intervened. And at the end of her story, her little girl came up on the platform. The two previous years, we had women come up and share their story of having an abortion. If that describes you, would you please know that abortion is not the unforgivable sin. There is freedom and forgiveness available through Jesus Christ. And Pregnancy Resources offers a post-abortion Bible study on a regular basis to help bring hope and healing to hurting women. This is a safe place for you to be. There are others who can understand, and this is a place of grace. I want to share some just-released stats from Pregnancy Resources. This is from 2022. Everything Pregnancy Resources provides is free of charge. Actually, I'd like you to just raise your hand if you're on staff or you serve as a volunteer at Pregnancy Resources. Go ahead, raise your hand. Look at the hands around the room. Um, Every service, a lot of people. So check this out. 1,932 distinct individuals were served at Pregnancy Resources. That's an increase of 34% over the year before. 919 pregnancy tests, 828 ultrasounds, that's an increase of 34%, and all of that is free. 73% of those planning in abortion, so when they come in, that's their plan, end up choosing life. <laughs> but interestingly, that number is lower than previous years, and There's some reasons for that. Uh, Many more clients come into the centers with a mindset that they want an abortion. It was typical in past years to see under 20 clients who were abortion-minded for an entire year, but with more abortion-minded clients, it's far more difficult to impact uh, women positively. Secondly, perhaps you're not aware of this, but sadly, the state of Illinois Pays for an abortion. It's entirely free for those who are on Medicaid. Thirdly, the at home abortion pill affects that number because the client is often told they must get an ultrasound to see how how far along the baby is. And by the way, this takes a tremendous toll emotionally on staff and volunteers. Check this, 1,438 clients indicated they had no spiritual beliefs. That's 74%. 1,300 spiritual discussions uh, took place. 456 attended classes, 1,800 packages of diapers, 205 new baby gift bags. By the way, Edgewood provided many of those from our Christmas curbside um, outreach, Uh, There are uh, 292 cans of formula, 82 car seats, 435 containers of prenatal vitamins. You have heard people say, oh, those of you who speak up for life, you don't care about babies after they're born. Uh, Not true. We do, and we'll do everything we can to help. There's a table set up out in the lobby today with a lot of information. There's a sample car seat there and different things that are given away. Perhaps God's stirring you during uh, the service today as a man. They need men, uh, guys who can help teach classes. Maybe you have some issues that you need some help with, some struggles. Head out there. They'd be glad to connect you. Pregnancy Resources also ministers to men. This last year, 927 interactions with men. 139 men participated in classes or mentoring sessions. Pregnancy Resources offers coaching and classes for dads taught by men. So check out that table. Now, if you want to go deeper and perhaps you're not ready to go to a table, it's so public, we did post seven resources that I want you to to know about. If you go to our website, edwardbaptist.net, up there at the top, Click Resources. There are seven free resources right there. And let me now go to the app. If you have the Edgewood mobile app, that's a free app. You go to the bottom, eBulletin. Go to Sermon Resources. It opens up that middle page where you can read the sermon manuscript, sermon notes. Down at the bottom, Sermon Extras, which opens up those seven resources. Those are all hyperlinks. Simply click on them, and they open up. I'd encourage you uh, to check that out. In a recent CareNet study about men who were involved in an abortion, more than half were attending church at least once a month. Yet, only 5% of men sought advice from anyone in the church. Isn't that so like men? Just to keep it inside and not talk it out and not get help? I mean, I long for Edgewood to be a place of grace where you can talk, If you're in a situation, you're in a crisis, men and women, teenagers, where you can come looking for wisdom and healing. You can find grace here. Now, recognizing the need to grow our ministry to men in general, Pastor Kyle, along with three of our deacons, Terry Hartley, Larry Wilson, and Matt Bowman, are giving focused attention to equipping men to live on mission for the glory of God. We have three different men's Bible studies each week, Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on the lower level, Wednesday nights during Awana in the fireside room, and Thursday morning at 8.30 We're also planning on a men's gathering event in March and we've scheduled our first overnight retreat April 28th and 29th in DeWitt. Now, I can think of several reasons why men struggle to live on mission. Number one, most men feel alone and isolated. One book title that comes to my mind, it reads like this, The Friendless American Male. Secondly, Many men are so busy taking penguins to the movies that they're not even thinking about living out their purpose. They're just playing in a fantasy life or sports world or just not even thinking about it. There's a third reason a lot of men struggle spiritually because of secret sins, like pornography. According to the president of Covenant Eyes, which provides internet accountability, It's what I have on all my devices. Up to 70% of men in the church struggle with pornography. And up to one-third of women do as well. Another impediment to growth is the guilt, the shame, and the regret which come from sins like abortion. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. There's hope And there's healing in Christ. When Adam failed in the garden, we all failed with him. But Jesus is the true gardener who obeyed in the garden of Gethsemane to deliver disobedient gardeners like us. God, we thank you for your grace that leads sinners home. From death to life, so we can be forgiven and free forever. God, there are people engaging online and right here in this room who are in need of forgiveness and cleansing, freedom from guilt and shame and regret. Thank you that you freely offer that. You freely offer that because of your finished work on the cross. Jesus, do your work. Bring healing. Restore hope. And Lord, would you mobilize all of us to live on mission for your ministry. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.